I still remember it was a few years ago, and Tyler was very young. It was a Saturday morning, and uh, we were just ha- happened to have the day kind of open. So I got up a little early. I thought it would be kind of special just to do some fun things together. And uh, Tyler and I were up and around, and I said, hey, buddy, let's go get some donuts. So we went down uh, to Lamar's and got some and brought them back to the house, and we were enjoying breakfast together. He may have been just three or so, and I gave him his donut, and I had my donut, and we're sitting there together, father, son, relishing the moment. He looks up and says, Dad... Do you know what makes breakfast special? I said, no, son, what's that? He said, the people we share it with. I did the same thing. Then he said, now can I have another donut? (laughs) Children are smart. We're going to be talking about children this morning. We are in a, a series for the year called Walking Worthy of Your Calling. And our theme verse is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Excuse me. We started out, Steve started addressing our personal calling, and he looked at what the scriptures say about how we individually are called. And then the next series, I addressed the body and how we as a family, not in just individually, but collectively have a calling. And then we have currently are currently in a series about the calling for families. We have discussed so far the calling for grandparents, the calling for spouses, the calling. Last week, we talked about the calling for parents. And this week, we talk about the calling for children. And so I hope that this has been a beneficial series to you as families. We believe um, that the family is the foundation of what God intended for raising children, for building marriages and indeed learning the lessons of love. The one calling that children have is this. You are called to honor your parents. Now, I came over here to the teen section just for that, and they're not even looking at me, you know. So to honor your parents, they told me to specifically emphasize that to you. Actually, it wasn't them. It was God. It's starting back in Exodus chapter 20, if you want to turn in your Bibles. It won't be on the screen for you. Exodus chapter 20. Now, you know Exodus chapter 20 is the chapter of the Ten Commandments. We're just going to go look at one of those commands, verse 12. And it is the only command, interestingly enough, although it's the fifth in line, it's the only one that comes with a blessing. Uh, And the, the verse there says, chapter 20, verse 12, Honor your father and your mother. So that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, of course, we understand that in context, God was speaking covenantally toward his relationship with Israel. Uh, Not a problem there, but the principle is still true today. The the word honor means to esteem or respect highly. Uh, Number when you think about the commands one through ten, number one, two, three and four are all about us and our relationship to God. But number five through number ten are all about our relationship with one another. Now, I think number five, which, which is honoring your father and your mother, is foundational to numbers six through ten. Because your parents are your first authority. 
You learn from them before you even learn from God. They are the first ones to teach you about obedience. And when you think about obedience and authority, you have to have those two if you're going to have commands number six through ten. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, and don't covet. All of those commands are useless if you're speaking to a people who have no respect for authority. It is the first commandment with a promise. Commands number two and three actually come with threats. But commandment number five comes with a promise of a blessing that you may live long. Now, this morning we're talking about honoring your parents. And I need to make just one editorial note. We are talking about healthy, normal, functioning Parents, we all could know stories and probably could share of of parents who were abusive or uh, in some way misused their authority as parents. It is harder and harder to read the news these days. Just this past week here in town, we read the story of a man who sexually abused his own five year old daughters. Heartbreaking. Up in Michigan just earlier, just yesterday, a story of a a man waterboarding a five year old boy because he ripped his backpack. We are not talking about those kind of parents. And if you have come from a a, a parents who in some way abused you or hurt you, understand that we are talking in general here about God-fearing, God-honoring parents. Those parents need to be honored. And if you're being abused, I mean seriously being abused, you come talk to me or Steve or one of the elders because that's what church is for. But we were talking about normal, healthy families we're talking about honoring them, and this can mean several. There's several levels. I've picked five, so you can fill out your little sheet there. Um, honoring your parent means number one, it means respecting them. Uh, they deserve your respect. They are the first people that God entrusted you to. Last week we said that parents are stewards, and we told their parents, we told parents that children are a blessing. But if you're a a child sitting here or anywhere, you need to understand that if your parents love you enough to bring you to church, to make sure you had food to eat and clothes to wear and shelters to live in, you need to understand they are doing a good job. They're being a blessing to you, and you need to appreciate that blessing. Number two, honoring means trusting them. Your parents exceed you, and I know you don't believe this is true, but they exceed you in wisdom. And I know you know this is true. They also exceed you in life experience. Another way of saying is that they are older than you. And uh, believe it or not, they want what's best for you. Number three, honoring your parents means fulfilling their wants and wishes. Uh, parents know that this is true. If we repeat enough things often that our children already know, they can already fill it in. Tyler and I pulled into uh, the driveway the other day and the yard needed mowed. Big surprise. Uh, I almost started to say it. He said, I know, Dad, I know what you're going to say. All right, don't even have to tell me. Well, that's good that he understands what I want, but it's, it's one thing to know it. It's another thing. To get out of the car and get the mower. You've got to fulfill their wishes. And number, f- <clears throat> number four is caretaking. Now, this won't necessarily apply to you right now. Maybe it would. But as you move out of this section to all the other sections, 
There comes a time as you, the roles in life begin to reverse. Children begin to take care of their parents. And God ordained that. In fact, one of Jesus' last things that he did on the cross was tend to his mother's needs making sure she had someone to take care of her. And for us older children, we still have that responsibility. And finally, and this is what we're going to focus on, obedience. Honoring means obedience. Now, all the parents in the room go, yes, preach it. Preach that obedience. You need to understand, as all the children roll their eyes, If you have a parent who wants obedience from you, you have a parent who has standards for you. And that's a blessing. Seth Godin is somebody who that I read quite often. He wrote this in a story on his blog on a long flight a little while ago. I saw two couples watch movies while they let their six kids run around all over the plane like maniacs from takeoff to touchdown. A seven-year-old punched me, actually punched me. I didn't return the punch, though I wanted to. I wish those kids had said to their parents, Mom, Dad, raise your standards for me. It's a blessing that your parents desire obedience. And if they don't, I hope that you'll call them on it and say, Mom, Dad, raise your standards for me. The Proverbs... are uh, absolutely permeated with this wisdom. We're going to look at one, Proverbs 13, verse 24. Proverbs 13, verse 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but who he who is careful to discipline them loves their children. It is so important that parents do that, but when they discipline, what needs to happen is a response, and that's called obedience. Obedience is very simply a yielding of the heart. Now, if you have been around in the Wichita area for at least a year or more, you're going to immediately picture what I'm talking about. There is the worst intersection in Wichita at 235 and Kellogg. It's an interchange there, and the loops there are very tight. And specifically, the one that I take every day where I go from eastbound Kellogg to northbound 235 there, that's the tightest turn, and Steve told me one time, it's the highest grade. They take buses up that to test them out. It's a very tight, high, difficult turn. And when you get up to the top, you have traffic coming on 235 about 65, 70 miles an hour. Now, at the top of that hill is a sign. And what does that sign say? Yield. Do you know what a lot of people think the word yield means? Stop. Sometimes if we sit there long enough, I'll get out of the car and go open the door and slap them around. (laughs) Yield, not stop. Yielding is different than stopping. Now, this is an important point. Yielding means you defer to the more powerful force. And and what the, the highway definition, when you see a sign that says yield, you slow down to defer to the traffic to which you are yielding. If it is necessary, you stop. But in general, you slow down and try to merge with. So when you are yielding to your parents, what we're talking about is deferring to a higher power. Merging your will with their will. Not stopping, yielding. We can yield in three ways. 
One, this is not going to be on the PowerPoint, but it is on your handout. Uh, number one is your attitude. Uh, I remember when I was 13, my mother loved the word attitude. It was like it became a new part of her vocabulary. I could not. You've got such an attitude. Young man, you better drop that attitude. I mean, it was attitude this and attitude that. And I correctly responded with, <laughs> you can be or think you're being obedient But if you have the wrong attitude, you're still being disobedient. Attitude starts with the heart. Remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We've got to be obedient in our attitude. Number two, we've got to be obedient in our actions. You don't just need to hear what your parents say. You need to do what your parents say. And there's a very big difference. And number three, we need to yield obedience in the area of our words. There is many times in Scripture uh, an occasion where the Israelites are said to be muttering towards God. Now, I don't know if you know muttering, but it's kind of like, like this, who's responsible? It's verbal disobedience. And, and I know this never happens in churches, but sometimes in other churches, in other places, leadership might make decisions that you disagree with. And uh, the response might be, that's disobedience. It's not just a lesson for children, it's a lesson for all of us. Yield in your attitude, yield in your actions, and yield in your words. Suffice it to say, as Scripture always does, putting it better than me, Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, you want to look this one up. Children, obey your parents. Now, you guys aren't even looking it up. How are you supposed to know what it says if you don't look it up? Pull out your iPhones. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, gang. See, we're talking about obedience. Yield. Children, obey your parents in everything. By the way, you can highlight that or underline it however you want to. That's an important, in the Greek word, the Greek word there for everything means everything. For this pleases the Lord. The problem then, if, uh, if obedience is such a good thing, is that obedience has many obstacles. Many, many obstacles. We saw in the verse, uh, slide earlier that the first thing that we learned is that obedience is a learned behavior. It's not natural. Disobedience is natural. Anyone in the two-year-old parenting category will tell you. We don't train them to be disobedient. We have to train them to be obedient. Even Jesus, who was obedient in all things, had to learn it. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 says, Though he was a son, he learned obedience. Number two, we live in a corrupt world. We live in a corrupt world. Now, you need to turn to Romans, which is the verse on your handout. Romans chapter 7 verses, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1 verses 29 through 31, and Paul there writes about our world. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents They have no understanding, no fidelity 
no love, no mercy. Now, before you think I'm going to pick on your generation for a second, I want to tell you, as I think Billy Joel said, uh, you didn't start the fire. It's always been burning since the world's been turning. Every single generation of the world has been disobedient. It's a cultural thing, but it's not a 2015 thing. It's not a 1950s thing. It's not a 1900s thing. It's an always thing from the time that Eve took the bite of the fruit. Disobedience has been in our culture and our world. Number three, we are rebellious at heart. Now, before I make my point with scripture, I want to ask you, just everyone right now, this is very important. I need your attention. I do not want you to think about mustaches. Please don't think about mustaches. Uh, there, stop. There are people with mustaches. I don't want you to look for them. I don't want you to think about them. Don't look over at the side of your eyes. I can see you doing it. We are rebellious at heart. Romans chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Now, this is a good one. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not know what what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin... Seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. So interesting, isn't it? That the law, which God intended to bring righteous rules to us, provokes something in our hearts that makes us want to do the opposite. The Greenwoods told me this story a long time ago, and I don't know if he's here this morning, so I'm not picking on him, okay? When Caleb was about three years old, or somewhere around there, they, all the family had gotten out of the car, and they were unloading the car, and either Craig or Becky, one, told Caleb, they said, I want you to stand right here. Stand right here. Don't move. And do not go. There's a little line in the parking lot where they were, where they were parked, and they said specifically, don't. Go past the line. Stay right here, and no matter what happens, do not step over the line. And little Caleb looked up in his sweet little three-year-old mannerism and just looked right at them and did this. (laughs) Now, that's cute, and you laugh, but Craig and Becky had to deal with that because it's within our nature that when a rule is made, something within us says, break it. Break it. Better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. So we got some obstacles in front of us. Why bother obeying? Very quickly, you learn three simple lessons. Number one, you learn love. Let me tell you, no one, and I mean no one. I'm going to look at you guys, but now I'm going to point to everybody And hit the microphone. No one loves you like your parents love you or loved you. No one loves you as unconditionally when you were a baby and woke them up at two in the morning. They got up and they fed you. No one loves you as patiently. They go through you with the first time of everything. The first time of talking and walking and eating and hygiene and manners and driving. Everything that you do for the first time is the worst time. 
And your parents are right there with you through all the stumbles. No one loves you as sacrificially and as hopefully and as carefully as you do. You think your parents are always on your back. Let me tell you the truth. Your parents are the only ones who have your back. They're the only ones who stay up late at night praying for you and worrying for you and thinking about your future. And you may not understand that right now, but your parents love you with everything they've got. And they always have and they always will. And it's not dependent on how you perform or what you do like the rest of the world will. Your parents teach you about love. They teach you also, of course, and you know about authority. Second, John, chapter one, verse six tells us that this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. If we're going to claim to love God, we must love the authorities that he puts in our lives, including our parents. And finally, he tells us that we learn about serving others. Philippians two, five says we should not consider our own interests, but consider the interests of others above ourselves. This is the attitude of Christ. Now, I can tell you all of those things and you can fill them in or I can share you a story, which I'm going to do. So Tom and Joseph were taking down the pool. I was sitting on the front porch and we never walked around the septic tank. We just nobody ever went over that way. But that, that's where Tom and Joseph were taking down the pool that day. I got a call from my wife. She said, um, Joseph fell in the septic tank. I, 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 think, I think your dad drowned. I, I said, what? I ran in the house and called 911 and went back around. I just started screaming to God, where are you? And um, Joseph looked up at me and he said, Mom, so I knew it was Joseph. He was covered in sewage. Tom was trying to push Joseph out of there. And, of course, Tom, I don't know if it was the gases or um, just his exhaustion when he went under. There was nothing I could do because we were holding Joseph and um, there was no way I could get down there to get him. There was uh, nothing around that would help him. So we waited, it seemed like, for an eternity for the ambulance to come and the fire trucks. And I don't know if the fireman went down there. I don't know how he got him out, but he pulled him out. And he had, I could tell Tom's legs were just limp. It, it, there, was no, there was no life in his legs, so I knew that God had taken him. And then on the way to the uh, emergency room, uh, the man that was driving the the ambulance said, your husband has, has gone on. And um, so it happened so quick. Some might say, Dad, what a waste. You know, it's like, Josie's Down syndrome, so what can he really do? There are people that would say that, I believe. And um, it's like... Um, my dad wouldn't say that. Um, it's one of his songs, so he would have done that for any one of us. That's what we know. You know, it wasn't about dad, you know, for him. He was going to sacrifice himself and do whatever was necessary for everybody else around him.
a time when, uh, you know, down, down kids are delayed in all their development. So uh, in order for their brain to develop properly, they have to go back and relive certain things that we just go through naturally for a quick period of time. So like normally in, in your child development during a stage where you're crawling, that helps your brain develop. So Ed made these really long socks for his arms and, uh, and Joseph would crawl around. Here's <laughs> my dad. He's raised all these kids and, you know, he's crawling around outside on the ground. He's crawling around on the floor everywhere with my brother Joseph. So he just, he taught us an incredible example about it doesn't matter what, you know, what people think or it's all about just giving of yourself. He did mirror what Christ did for us on the cross. We think about the story of a father giving his life for his son. It's so inspiring and heart-wrenching at the same time. But we need to understand that every single one of us have parents who would have done the same, who loved us enough, and they may not have physically died, but they gave over their lives from the moment a doctor handed you to them and put you in their arms. And they with absolutely zero experience and terrified out of their mind, parented you. And so when we speak to children about obedience, you learn the lessons of love and authority and a sacrifice, but you see it every day. You need to know that they love you deeply. And this leads us to the next point, which is Ephesians, <clears throat> from Ephesians chapter 6. Obedience is right, even when your parents aren't. You say, that's a great video, so inspiring. But you don't understand my parents. You don't understand my mom, how she yells at me all the time. And nothing I do is ever good enough. You don't understand my father, who never talks to me, never wants a relationship with me. He works all the time to make all the money so we have all the things and we don't have him. And I'm going to tell you that there is no such thing as a perfect parent. Your obedience does not depend on their perfection. Your de obedience depends on your heart. Your willingness to understand that obedience is right even when they aren't. We will mess up. We do mess up. Parents, can I get a oh yeah? We all mess up. We all make the wrong call. There are times when as parents we look back and say, oh, I wish I had done differently. So obey your children. Uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. The Greek word there, obey, is hupaku, which means to hear, to heed, not just to listen with the ears, to listen with the heart, to respond. You remember Acts 2.38, which says, uh, that, that repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. It's, it's preceded by verse 37, which, Peter, uh, which Luke records that, Peter's, that the crowd said they were cut to the heart 
and said, what shall we do? That's when you know they listened to the sermon because they were ready to say, what shall we do? James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. Well, how do we do that? Luke 2.52 gives us the answer in four ways. Luke 2.52 says, the, all the uh, loft group ought to know this one. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Well, these tell us that Jesus grew in four ways. One, he grew wiser intellectually. You need to grow wiser. You need to learn from your mistakes. How do you get wiser? From experience. From learned experience. Not just going through something and make a mistake, but going through something, making a mistake, and looking back at the mistake and saying, oh, that's what I did that was wrong. Number two, you've got to grow up. You've got to be mature in your thinking. I know you hate the rules and the regulations and the curfew. You cannot wait to get out from under your parents' roof, which seems to be the foundation of all rules of parenting, as long as you're under this roof. But your parents make rules for a reason. When they say you can't stay out past 11 o'clock, there's a reason. When they say that you can't hang out with those friends, there's a reason. Think about why they do the things. And they don't just get up in the morning and say, how can we make their life more miserable today? Number three, grow spiritually. You need to not just listen to God's word being preached. You need to obey it. And number four, you need to grow socially to think of someone else's needs besides your own. Obedience is one of the few commands that comes with blessings. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, the father says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. What they're saying there is... If you'll just listen, you'll have so many more blessings in your life. We read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. I want you now to turn to Ephesians, back to chapter Ephesians chapter 6 and read verses 2 and 3. To be reminded, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Look at verse 3. One, that it may go well with you. And that you may enjoy long life on the earth. If you will but listen to your parents, you will overcome your nature. You'll gain wisdom without having to go through any of the experiences. And number two, you'll enjoy a long life. And that might mean you live to 80, 90, 100 years old. Could mean that. I think people who follow God's principles generally are more healthy physically. But I think it also means there's a depth and a richness of your life, to have success in your endeavors, to have the admiration of other people, and to have a good harvest. The blessings are that it will go well and that you will enjoy a blessed life. Every child, every child at one point or another becomes a parent. And when you become a parent, there will be a day when you'll be back to becoming a child. What I'm trying to say is what you plant, you harvest. So plant wisely. First John chapter 3, I'm sorry, 3 John chapter 1 verse 4. Turn with me. There 
says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Your parents love you. They want what's best for you. But mostly they want to see you in heaven. The greatest legacy parents leave is not what they leave to you, but what they leave in you. There is the story, I believe it was originally told by Dr. James Dobson. That among their family, they have a sign, and the sign is simply this. A thumbs up. And that thumbs up sums up everything that they want for their children and for their children's children. And that is, no matter what happens, no matter when we meet on that eternal shore, be there. Be on that eternal shore. Be one of the ones to whom Christ says, well done, good and faithful servant. And if you come to the end of life together and you share in those last few breaths on this side, they will raise a thumb and say and mouth the words, It's what your parent wants for you. It's what you will want for your children someday. To get there, you must understand honoring them and obeying them. This morning, we extend that invitation to all. That you would not just recognize you have a Father in heaven, but honor Him and obey Him. His Word gives us many important truths about how to become a Christian If you are not a Christian, have not been buried with Christ, have not put on Christ and walking in faith with him, we'd like to share those with you. We'd like to study with you. If you're a Christian and you've not been yielding to the authorities in your life and you need to repent, we'd like to pray with you for that as well. If you have any need, please come as together we stand and sing.